Hey folks, hope uh, you had a good Sunday. If I haven't met you uh, before, I'm Mark and it is uh, great that we can be gathering here tonight. Uh, as Amy mentioned, we, I'm going to introduce our panel members in a second, but again, just an opportunity to give a little bit of context. It's, it's always great when we kick off a series. Sometimes uh, we could be asking the question uh, in this series around our values, thinking, why does this really matter? Can't you just keep these in, on the whiteboard in the, uh, in the church offices or on the back of the toilets? Why does this really matter? What's the point of us as a church talking about our values? You know, well, that's, a, that's a good question. That's a, a good, good point. Well, I think for us as we, as we start this series, I think there's a, there's a couple of things I want to touch on before we uh, get into uh, our first value, Pursue God, is firstly, and I talked about this last week, that it's, it's so important in our lives, in our Christian lives, uh, to actually to know God, uh, to actually know God and allow God to be known through our lives. And we can easily think, oh, well, that's just up to me, you know, my relationship with God, that's just an individual thing. That's just me and God and, and even my Christian walk, that's just between me and God. There's nothing, it's got nothing to do with anyone else. Well, I would disagree. I, would strongly, I strongly believe in, in the church and the fact that as a faith community that we are called, yes, to know God and make God known. And the fact that as a church, as a faith community, that we have the opportunity uh, to actually share God's, God's love. And uh, where do, how does that happen? Well, it happens through, and it talks about it in Romans 12. It talks about be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's about being. It's about being, being someone. And for us, we understand that it, we aren't, like I mentioned, we aren't just individuals. Okay? We are part of a, a church community. And by being transformed, it means that we don't live in isolation. Uh, and the fact that we all can play our role in our community. And, and for us tonight, as you're going to hear from uh, Pamela and Joel soon, um, where we're going to hear stories and we're going to uh, actually start to lean in a little bit uh, to this. Because I, I think for us, it's easily to think, oh, you know, we are just living our lives uh, as individuals. But again, it's a great opportunity to learn and for us to, to just really lean into this. You know, in, for you in your life, you know, we are around our neighbours, in our community. Uh, and even tonight, you're going to hear even how our lives impact our environment, which is, which is wonderful. And what I suppose the goal of this series is, and what I, I really encourage us tonight as we hear this, is that you might go away and think, you know what, this is actually a little, this is actually more simple than I thought. This is actually relatively simple, this pursuing God, as you hear these stories and actually lean into God and actually ask God to reveal himself as we are transformed. So I'm going to invite our panel members up and I'd love for you guys to give a big hand of applause for these guys, Joel and Pamela. Thanks, guys. Well, we're, we're doing this again. We're here this morning. It was a great time. It was, we had some great feedback this morning. And again, just like this morning, let's just forget about everyone out there. We're just having a bit of a chat, aren't we, Joel? Yeah, that's right. 
just having a chat like we did in the cafe a couple of weeks ago and, and Pamela as we hung out in the back of your place which was, which was nice uh, and uh, we enjoyed catching up with you guys. So uh, I love, again, I know this morning we, we shared a little bit. I didn't know some of the stuff you talked about. It was your childhood, Pamela. I'd love, we're going to start there again. Uh, if you could just introduce yourself, talk a little bit about your childhood, where you grew up and how you found yourself here living in Geelong. All right, so I grew up in a town um, near Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I was number six out of seven that my parents had in the span of 10 years. So it was a pretty, pretty full house. We were all pretty close together, the kids. Um, I would say that I had a really happy childhood, really. Um, my father was, we had one breadwinner. So it was, you know, middle class sort of living. We didn't have all the latest and greatest stuff, but we had what we needed. And we had a lot of joy in our house. Um, one thing that my father used to love for us to do is, um, you know, get close to um, nature and being outside. And of course, probably I think when I think about it now, he's probably just wanting us to get out of the house, really. <laughs> but um, we used to play in the neighborhood. I had a fantastic neighborhood, actually. There was a tons of kids there, and um, we would all play outside together and crash around together. And when it was time to go home, uh, my mother would ring the cowbell and everybody from the Braceland family would come running out of wherever they were and we'd all be racing home and it actually signaled the end of the evening for the neighborhood really because that meant everybody else took off too. So in hindsight, I think my mother was uh, really the, the bell keeper for the entire neighborhood and nobody else had to worry about getting their kids home. Um, my mother was a, um, a very strong role model for me. She was a volunteer in, in our community, and she also volunteered at the church for many years, and then she ended up working at the church. And she was the person that if people called, she would answer the phone and try to redirect it or whatever. But um, mom was the type of lady that could hear what people needed, I guess, could sense um, what could be done. And she really gave of herself. She loved people. She knew that God loved people, and she stepped in where she could step in. And I didn't really um, fully understand, I guess, how much impact my mother had until she passed away a few years ago, and I went to her funeral, and there was a lot of people. My mother was nudging 86, and that place was rocking. There was a ton of people there, lots of people I didn't know, and after about shaking hands with a bunch of people, I thought... Uh, I don't even, who are these people? And so I started to ask people how they knew my mother. And just story after story. You know, your mother was the first one to reach out for me when I had cancer. Your mother used to write to our son when he was in Iraq at the war. Your mother used to send, send uh, my daughter flowers. You know, my, your mother used to visit my grandmother. And, you know, she was a shut-in. So it was just, you know, that's who mom was. And it had a, a huge impact, I think, on me of... Not just what the church could do, because she, you know, obviously got a lot of these calls to the church, but, you know, what somebody can do when they're willing to step in, and I guess in some ways, you know, I always use this phrase, see a need, meet a need, and I think my mother really exemplified that. Thanks, Pamela. It was, uh, it's great to hear about your mum again and uh, her impact on your life. Love for you, Joel. Um, some of those who are here may know you and a lot might, may not. So just share a little bit about your yeah. childhood, where you grew up. Sure, yeah. Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, I grew up in this church um, uh, with my two parents and uh, my two sisters, Zoe and Phoebe and Toby. 
my brother, and uh, yeah, uh, when I was about 12, uh, about six years old, we moved out from Geelong, grew up just on Marshall Street near Born and Bred there, and uh, we moved out to um, Maud in the country, and every, I don't know, ever since I was a little kid, I've just been inspired by, I guess, my nonno and my Italian heritage to be growing food, and it's been really a theme through my life now, and I've just felt a real sense of God's calling to be growing food, and I've had pigs when I was 12 years old, and I've had, during COVID, I had 500 chickens and, like, all kinds of wacko beekeeping and stuff, Um, and, yeah, so that's really the thing I'm passionate about, yeah. You had 500 chickens. Yeah. That's a a lot of eggs. Too many. Too many, yeah. They sold them um, as pets to people during COVID. Yeah, it was good fun. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to hear about what uh, you got up to uh, mm. during COVID because there's some, uh, it's a great story and we'll, we'll mm. share about, get you to share about that a bit later. But Pamela, you grew up in Geelong or with, your, with the kids. Um, obviously then uh, there was a bit of a change and a bit of a move that you made as a family, which was quite interesting, an mm. interesting place that you spent a bit of time with. We'd mm. love for you to share a little bit about that. Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, my husband and I, um, we raised our children here in Geelong, and then he got an opportunity to get relocated with his work, and so we decided that we would go to Brunei. Um, and yeah. Brunei is not a location that many of us may have heard of, uh, and I've, we've thrown, got a map up there, mm. Pamela, so that's a lot of people think, as you mentioned, it's in the Middle East, but yeah. it's not. It's not far from Australia, but it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's about an eight-hour uh, plane ride. Um, yeah, so it's it's on the island of Borneo, and um, it's pretty much on the equator, so it's very hot there, it's very humid there, it rains a lot there, um, because of that it's very lush, and beautiful rainforest, and wild monkeys, and you know, it's quite a place um, to experience, really. Um, it is an Islamic state, so... Islam is, you know, obviously the, the religion, and as a Christian woman, I wouldn't say it was dangerous by any, by any stretch of the imagination, but you just had to be careful on what you were doing. Uh, it's a sultanate, so it's a kingdom, so there's an absolute monarch who rules with both common law and Sharia law, and yeah, it was a, quite an experience. Yeah, so I think this morning we threw up a picture that I thought was the palace, but it's actually a mosque, which I think uh, there's an image of that this morning that I threw up. So it does, you talked about this uh, with me, just the wealth in that uh, that country. Yeah, it was a fairly, it's a very wealthy country actually because of the oil reserves there and the Sultan is one of the richest men in the world and he filters that wealth down through the people um, by giving a lot of subsidies, you know, giving houses and... Um, really cheap food and, you know, health is, you know, a dollar for everything sort of thing. So um, the people, if you're a Bruneian, it's good to be Bruneian because you have a very easy lifestyle, a very easy life um, as far as financially. Excellent. Mm. So you arrive in this country, your husband is uh, off working and Mm -hmm. the kids are off at school. Just uh, if you could share a little bit about what you got up to. Okay. Um, Yeah, I ended up finding a place where I could volunteer. I'd done a lot of volunteering here in Australia and through the school system and through some NGOs that worked with young families. And I just knew that God had something for me over in Brunei. I mean, I didn't want to, you know, I knew he was displacing me for a reason too. It wasn't just about my husband's work. 
So I managed to find a place called Pusat Eshan. It means Center for Caring. And it was a center for children with special needs. Um, it was in a backwater of Brunei and for a very wealthy country, for some reason. Um, the, the special needs community was not a celebrated community there. There was a lot of shame attached to it. And they didn't get any government funding. So it was a lot of fundraising and, um, you know, antiquated, you know, equipment, all that sort of stuff that was um, at the center when I arrived. Amazing. We'll share, get you to share a little bit about uh, that a, a bit later. That'd be mm -hmm. great, Pamela. Um, but Joel, uh, yeah. a couple of years ago, you were part of something also pretty interesting and pretty formative for you. Yeah, definitely. So um, back in 2018, I... I just graduated high school, I was about 18 years old and I started getting involved in a community organisation in Norlane, um, which if you're not from Geelong is a suburb sort of in the north that um, is quite, it's one of the most disadvantaged suburbs in Australia actually, it's really um, got some pretty serious issues. Um, and a friend of mine and I, um, we started a uh, kind of grassroots, uh, I don't know, organisation, I guess, uh, where we turned our backyard and our neighbour's backyard into a market garden um, and we involved the community and we took... Oh, there's a photo of me up there. Um, we took the grass out. Um, it was cooch grass, which if you know cooch is like the worst grass known to mankind. Grew a wife as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, there's some photos up there of... Um, the rows in the backyard. Uh, yeah, and so it's, it really started off, Lockie and, and I, we really started off thinking it was a food security program, you know, really to get fresh veggies into a place that was a bit of a food desert. Um, but really we soon learned through the markets and through our working bees and stuff that we were doing that it was actually really addressing a serious social need. Um, and I really learned through that, that period of my life that poverty really does exist everywhere but in Norlane it was really unhidden and it was really yeah it was quite in your face um, and these people a lot of the time that were coming they were really just looking for hope and for um, a conversation and to see a bit of excitement and a new life coming into the suburb so that's what we were able to provide at the time yeah yeah it's great Joel yeah. we'll, we'll get you to share about yeah. that a, a little bit later as well <laughs> but just Pamela uh, I just love for you to just uh, just go back a little bit just to rewind because you know you, you've arrived in a, a, a country that's quite wealthy and yeah like I said your husband's at work your kids are at school you could have kicked back and uh and just enjoyed uh putting your feet up it's a hot hot climate you could have got a, a suntan and just enjoyed sitting uh sipping drinks whatever you drink and uh that would have been a good time but that wasn't something that you wanted to do so just I'd love for you to share that because I find that really interesting and quite fascinating but also really inspiring okay um, I guess when we landed in Brunei, it was on a, I think it was on a Friday, and that weekend was really just getting everything settled and trying to unpack as much as we could and getting the kids settled to go to school. Uh, on Monday, my husband went off to work. My kids, I drove to school, and when I got back home, I was in a foreign country, and I absolutely knew nobody. And so I just sort of sat down with the Lord, and the, f the first thing that I said to him is, Lord, I'm here, I'm available. And I just kept praying that. I just kept praying it over my life and, and believing that God was going to somehow show me something. But he didn't. 
It, did, it wasn't really working out like you hoped. Yes, well, um, I guess uh, when, you, when you think God's going to move, you try to follow the thread. That's how I put it anyway. And so I knew I had experience with children in schools and with families, and I thought, well, I'll see if I can volunteer in some local schools uh, or, you know, whatever. And I went to many of them, and um, most of the time I, they wouldn't even see me. They wouldn't give me an interview or talk to me about anything. Uh, anytime I tried to reach out, it just seemed like there wasn't anything happening at all. So... Um, I didn't give up, though, of course. I, um, I just started to do the things that I'm, I enjoy doing. I'm a good walker, so I started to walk in the jungle and um, get fit and fill in my time kind of thing. And um, I met a woman at the jungle one day, Tessa Glamour, and she worked for the Department of Education. And I was telling her story. It was very upbeat and really hopeful, and she was going to say something great to me. And she said, they are never going to let you go into the schools you know, as a, a Western woman, because, you know, and I told her I had no hidden agenda. I just really wanted to be useful and productive. And I had some skills, I thought, something I could give, but she said, that is never going to happen. And I just thought, when I walked away from I thought, never going to happen. That doesn't sound right. So, so I, um, I just continued to do things that I love, and I ended up... Um, through my daughter, Grace, she had a friend, and her, her mom invited me to study the Koran, and I thought, yes, I will do that. Um, I'm very interested in faith. I'm very interested in what people believe and why they believe it, and I thought, yeah, I can learn. I mean, I'm here to learn and grow and, you know, see how God's going to shape me, so I, I jumped in with two feet, and uh, who would have thought that at a, one of those meetings, I met a woman who knew about this place, Pusat Eshan. She said, I think there's a place, I was telling her my story, and she said, you know, they're, they, I think they're pretty desperate. They might take you. And I, so I, it took me a while to find it, because I said it wasn't, you know, it was, wasn't in a very popular place. And I eventually went there, and uh, they did, they were willing to see me. And when you arrived, uh, you were a bit shocked uh, with what was happening with uh, even the uh, children with special needs, where they were placed, I suppose, and the attitudes in the community. Mm. Yeah, well, like I said, it wasn't a uh, very celebrated community, the special needs community there. Everything was a little bit hidden. Um, and when I got to the centre, uh, one of my first roles was to start up a parent support group um, that's something that one of the parents thought would be a good idea and I got alongside her and we established something and that was a, a huge education for me, trying to understand the difficulties of people that had special needs children in, that, in Brunei. Um, not only, I mean most of them, the kids just had a diagnosis of slow learner. And if, as I walked around the center, they had all sorts of issues, neurological wheelchairs, tubes, you know, ticks of all sorts of kinds, and blind kids with hair. Um, it, it was just, um, they did, the parents didn't have any support. And one man said to me once, you know, I'm, I'm getting older and frailer, and my son is getting bigger and stronger. And just the fear, I thought, wow, this is quite a way to live and I just started to pray Lord I know you love these people and I know that I'm here and I you know I'm going to do what I can do I'm available Lord show me show me what you need me to do what you want me to do 
Excellent. We'll just pause there because we'll talk about uh, what happened over these next few years. And we might uh, swing over to you, Joel. And I'd love for you to just share a little bit about what's happening now. Obviously, that time in Norlane was was pretty amazing and pretty formative. But uh, there's a bit of a, a new project that you're part of. I'd love for you to share about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I guess leading up to this new project now, I'm, I'm just... Um, sort of take you through a little bit of what happened in, in Norlane. I, I just felt that first year in Norlane was really amazing for me. I, there was a sense of God's protection over the project and over my life, and um, the, the food grew so well. It was like the first harvests were amazing, and there was a great vitality in life around the project. And it sort of did change a lot in the, the second year where I guess God took away some of those layers of that he was sort of protecting me from and he revealed a lot more of the darkness of certain aspects and certain people coming along to the markets were which were a bit full on and I hadn't really experienced before um, and interestingly that coincided with the second year being much more lower productivity in the garden as well like the fertility we hadn't realized we we're harvesting all this stuff and not replenishing it enough um, and, you know, just reflecting on that, that was a real good analogy of my life at the time. I realised that uh, the soil that I was growing in was really dry and uh, there was just no fruit being formed from it. And I, was exp- I explained this morning, it's like, um, if you, I don't know if you've ever had a pot plant that you haven't watered or you've just forgotten about for years or a year or whatever, and you try to water it, and the water just runs straight off. It was like that. And um, if you have a pot plant like that, the really only way you can uh, fix it is just by dunking it in a bucket of water, really, and just leaving it there until it, the, the soil repairs itself. And so that's really what I discovered I needed to do. Um, it was a bit of a crisis point, really, and it coincided with... Um, Isabella, my fiance, who was giving her life to God at the time and sort of the messiness of, of that process. Um, and in all the crisis and the messiness, I really discovered that um, I could soak my soil in God's presence. Like that song was saying before, that I could um, receive like a living water um, and an infinite source of, of refreshment and replenishment. Um, and Psalm 91 was really important for me and still is. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. And I feel like that really summed up that, that period for me. It was, it was a great sense of rest and refuge that I received when I would spend these times with God, just one-on-one with God. But there was also a sense of this is an almighty fortress that I can find refuge in. And there was a sense of power in that. Um, I just discovered so, sorry, I just discovered so much about God's love that God's love just overwhelmed me. And Paul talks that talks about the need for us to pray for our hearts to be increased in volumes just so we can receive more of that love. Um, and I also learn about God's mercy, the fact that he wanted to give me mercy and he wants to give us mercy more than we even want to receive it, yeah. which is just pretty unreal. Like it's good news 
really good news. It is good news, um, Joel. And I love how when you yeah. said Mighty Fortress, you just clinch your yeah. fist. And because you, <laughs> you experience that in your life. Yeah. You've experienced that and uh, that yeah. transformation yeah. you've experienced. And, uh, yeah, so Noor Lane uh, was very formative. It was yeah, extremely... It was. And what now? What's happened over yeah, the last so, few years? Yeah, um, so I guess, I guess from there, sort of COVID happened. It was a bit of a speed bump. But um, I work up at Christian College. Um, so they're a school in Geelong here, and they have a year nine program up um, on a school farm, that they a dairy farm. Um, and I've been working there for many years, but um, this year I've started a new role full-time. We're going to be establishing a market garden. Um, and I, I'm always on about the land and growing, and I think it's just such a rich uh, way to share our testimony to people. And the way I do that is I want, whenever someone visits the land that I'm on, I want them to feel a sense of um, prosperity. And I want it to... I believe that as Christians, we can treat the land in a way that is similar to the way we've been treated by God, and that grace can shine through the land and really speak to people that would otherwise never see it. And so that's my vision for the for the farm. Um, and it was a bit of a process of where I am now. I, it, yeah, it was quite miraculous, really. Um, yeah. When you talk about it being amazing, because mm. the program that you've... Uh, you've started and you're st- sort of starting this year um where did that come from was that someone else's idea did you get a job did you was there a job advertised or how did no, that happen not really so um just I've, I've i've worked as like a student supervisor since i finished high school so that was like seven years ago and over that time god has just been it's amazing really and quite beautiful he's been building this vision in my mind of of how god wants me to be used up at the farm and so I spent about, Bella would know, I spent like ages formulating this proposal um, and I did like drawings and I planned it all out and I spent ages and everyone was like, you're spending too long doing this. But um, I sent it in and they, were, they said, yep, straight away and they were really keen. So that's really how the project started and yeah, I think they really understand my vision for it, so... It's yeah. exciting, yeah. Amazing, and yeah. Uh, and even as you share that, it's mm. it's obviously God's uh, vision, and God has used you incredibly in mm. that. I, I love that, and I think even a bit later, I'd love. I know we didn't do that this morning, but I, I think it'd be great. Even this morning, we pray, we yeah, pray into that, yeah. uh, and what God is doing over I there. So, uh, Pamela, uh, you know, I love I love Joel's story of of what uh, God has done through a vision, a little bit similar but different inside four walls. Mm. You were quite challenged when you went to the to the centre and you saw four stark walls and I think there's a photo as well where we've got uh, of you when you arrived in uh, <laughs> okay. in Brunei and uh, and the four stark walls and then obviously what happened over those years and mm-hmm. uh, especially around um, yeah if you could share about that that'd be great okay um, yeah when I went to the centre as after I was working with the parents a bit I started to hang around with a bit of the staff and to be honest with you, as a, as a woman that had worked in the school systems over here, I, was, I would walk around the center and it was, you know, a bit dilapidated. It was, you know, infested and stuff. But, you know, I just, I, I thought to myself, it's like shooting fish in a barrel in here, what you could try to do and change. And, you know, but I mean, I have experience enough to know that you, you don't just barrel in, you know, you have to, you have to let people own what they want to change. And so I started to pray, you know, Lord, you have to show me 
what you want me to tackle here because it seemed like there was a lot of ways it could go. And, you know, sometimes it is hard to hear God's voice. It's hard to, to tune into exactly what he's trying to impress upon you. But it just seemed to be circumstances kept coming that I would get alongside these three particular coordinators that had been brought over by, um, from another country. And they found it very difficult to do their job because they weren't Bruneian. And, um, you know, there wasn't that sort of respect for what they were meant to be doing um, from, the, from the local teachers who really had no training um, and, and could have benefited greatly from what these girls had to offer because it was obvious they were very skilled. So I started getting around them a bit and we started to pray together and, you know, pray about what God was doing. And they were Christian women. So uh, we ended up becoming uh, what we named ourselves the Four, the four Stranded Cord. Uh, you know, we all felt it. God had braided us together for this purpose. And, you know, I had my role to play, and they, they had their roles to play. And I'm not an educator, so, you know, I wasn't trying to do what they, they were gifted to do. I was just um, doing the thing that I could do, which was trying to bridge the communication between them and the, the other staff and also between them and the board because I sort of got um, friendly with some of the board members of the center. So the library, uh, there wasn't much of a library when you started? No, it's funny. After about, after about eight months, um, you know, they started to input into the staff and things started to change. The program started to develop and things, people started to realize that, you know, things could be different. And it became very obvious that they were grossly under-resourced. And so I suggested, you know, maybe we could build a library. And... Um, so that's what we did. I spent the next four and a bit years like a psycho lunatic tracing down books. And, and the library actually was more than just about books because we actually used the library as like a channel to get all sorts of things into the center, furniture and equipment and IT and all sorts of things sort of just funneled through the library. But we did have a, a pretty good book collection also. I love the story uh, Pamela shared with me about a parent who at first found it challenging with their uh, child with special needs about uh, being in the community and how that shifted as well. And as well, I'd love for you to talk a bit about the, the fun run, the fundraiser. Okay, yeah, I'll tell that story about the parent. Um, one of the things that we had to do when we started the library is because the library was kind of a foreign idea, really, uh, I had to do some training with the staff and with the parents. You know, these, I'm not giving you these books, I have to come back, you know. And we got book bags and, you know, it was all very structured. You know, we tried to set it up nice and decorate it beautiful and, you know, we set up a little pro library program. And, you know... One, some of the things that happened at the center that were really um, beautiful for me were things like I had parents that, I, I did parent, um, what do you call it, like a little um, introduction to the library and I would show them how to use the books and, you know, to get the most out of them and, you know, I had a parent that came back to me once and they said, you know, we didn't really know how to enjoy our child. We didn't really know how to relate to our child, really, but now the end of the day, reading the book, me and my husband, we fight over who gets to do that because it was just that special time where they could sit together. Their child was obviously changing a bit because of all the other stuff that was going on in the center with the, the curriculum and the programs. They were getting more structured. They were learning, you know. Um, 
oftentimes the, those girls through the time I was there, they'd be bringing a, a little boy or a girl to me and they would sit the, sit the child down and he would read to me. And I'm thinking like, wow, Lord, you know, through the graded readers that we got through the library. I mean, there was a lot of impact with what God was doing um, there. And it was, you know, I was just lapping up the gravy of everything that God was about and uh, being privileged enough to be alongside what he was doing, really. Yeah, wonderful. That, yeah. The story of the fun run, I also okay, love. Yep. That'd be great. Uh, well, we had to do a lot of fundraising. At, um, that changed, actually, towards the end of um, when I was leaving in Brunei. But um, we had to do a lot of uh, fundraising. And one of the things that we did every year was a fun run. And it was a big thing for Brunei. Brunei's not a very big country. And a lot of people used to go to this fun run. And they needed, I found out through the girls that the board was trying to, you know, do everything and they didn't have enough volunteers. So they said, you know, they're looking for volunteers. So I thought, all right, I'll go to the meeting. And they said to me, um, I said, well, what can I do? And they, you know, they knew me and they, they just said, well, we need people that can, you know, hand out the medals at the end of the race and put the sash over all the runners. Now we're talking hundreds and hundreds of runners here. And so I thought, all right, I'm going to go back to my little community, my little church, which we, we met over a dress shop, and it was a few, you know, a few people there, and I pitched the idea to them, and I said, this is what is needed in the community here, let's get involved. So I got plenty of volunteers that were keen as mustard to get involved in this, and I said, what I want you to do is when the person crosses the finish line and you give them their sash, in your mind, I want you to say, God bless you. God bless you, God, God meet you, God reach you, you know? And we did that for everybody that ran that day. It was pretty special. Wow, love that, Pam. It's a great, great picture of God's blessing mm-hmm. and that, uh, the vehicle the church can be in yeah. the community. I love that. So we're obviously looking at the uh, topic of pursuing God. What are some mm-hmm. things that you've learned, Joel, just in sort of summarising a little bit? Yeah. Not your whole life, you haven't taken yeah. a lot of life to live, but just yeah, even for you. Yeah, yeah, I guess uh, God's really taught me a lot of things, going, you know, living in Nor Lane and these past few years. And the one thing I've learned about pursuing God is that it's really hard. Like I've found it really difficult at times. Um but, you know, and sometimes it feels like me choosing to pursue God goes against every bone in my body or, you know, every pattern in the world or uh, everything. But, um, and I, I got this quote from John Tyson, who's a pastor in, in New York City. Um, and he says, the enemy wants to do everything in his power to keep you away from his voice of love. And his main mission is to divert you from resting your head on Jesus' chest. And uh, I've really sensed that in my life, that um, it, it, it kind of has been a battle. Um, I've battled a lot with, um, as Bella would probably know, like apathy and just being like whatever, like just kind of cruising through life. And um, also exhaustion, like I've, I'll get home from work or what it, whether it's working in the community or whatever and just be really tired and... I've found that I've medicated through escapism and through just scrolling on Instagram or watching, you know, binging TV shows or whatever it is. Um, and I got to the point where I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't have time to pursue God. Um, and at that point in time, I sort of um, was told about a story um, of the patron saint, um, Susanna Wesley, um, who was the mother of like 19 children 
nine of them who unfortunately died as infants, actually, and her husband wasn't really around much. He was in jail a lot. And what she would do to pursue God, just in the midst of chaos, she'd say, kids, I'm going to the secret place. And she'd pull up her apron over her head and just pray to God in that moment. And um, that really changed my perspective on, uh, you know, what pursuing God is. It's like every, it's in every moment and it's carving out time for God. And God used, really used um, Susanna Wesley, you know, the name Wesley you might have heard of. Um, so she, her two sons were Charles Wesley and um, John Wesley. They were two revivalists um, and um, fathers of the Wesleyan church, um, the Methodist movement. You know, so it really touched nations just through just this single mum chucking the apron over and just devoting her whole life to God. Um, and, you know, that's really been like a theme in my life that God comes where he's wanted. And so I've really had to focus on cultivating that desire and choosing God. And God strengthens me every time I do that. But it's really hard <laughs> as well. Appreciate your honesty. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I love that picture, um, mm. the apron. And yeah. uh, even yeah. that great quote by um, John Tyson, really encouraging, really inspiring. Mm. Um, I'd love for us to pray tonight. I think it'd be really great, uh, Pamela and Joel. Really appreciate you guys. I think we'll put our hands together for these guys tonight. <laughs> Absolute gold. I'd love to pray for what is happening at the, uh, at the farm at Back Creek in Bunningong and all that is going to happen through that, the conversations, uh, the soil and, uh, and all of that that is going to happen and the soil in your life. And let's uh, really praying as well, Pamela, for that centre. I'd love to, for those who love to chat, I know there's lots more stories and that centre is still going forward. There's still lots of change and uh, culture is changing in that, uh, in that country, with, especially with um, spe- kids with special needs and families as well, which is amazing so I just am so encouraged by both of you guys and I know this topic is around pursuing God and I think for for all of us uh, a real take-home I, I think is uh, is our lives is what allowing God to actually and I think Pamela you said it so well I love that language it's putting our antenna up um, and saying God I'm available what are you saying and uh, I think there's some, some great things uh, for all of us uh, tonight so I'm going to invite our music team up and I'm going to pray while we do that, we might stand. Yeah, Father God, tonight we've been uh, deeply impacted by a couple of inspiring stories of your love and kindness. We thank you for the creativity that, is, uh, that comes from you. We thank you, God, that you sow seeds. And Lord, where there are needs in our world, and there, are, there is many, even tonight as we gather here in Geelong on, on this Sunday night in February, as we make ourselves available, this posture to say, God, I'm here. As you speak to us, your people, we make ourselves available. Our antenna is up. God, we believe that you are wanting to speak to us that you are wanting to stir in us passions, desire, creativity, God, that we are just not meant to exist and just go on and work and put our head down and just drive to work, drive to school and just do our thing, God, that you want to 
do something fresh. Renew us again tonight. Even as we pray right now, you might be here thinking, oh, those stories are great, but that's, you know, my time's, my time's done. I've had my time and, and maybe you just are here tonight and thinking, well, you know what, that's good for Joel, it's, it's good for Pamela, but no. I encourage you even now as, as we pray that you just open, even open your hands, just a gesture before God right now. Just open your hands, just have an openness to God and saying, yes, I'm available. I'm available to you, God. Stir in me, renew in me a fresh vision, passion. Thank you, God. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Stir us afresh tonight. That even as we gather here in Geelong and think, oh, I'll we're insignificant. No, God, you have called us to be a people, to be a church available, to be sent out, to be available for you. Have your way in us as we look to you tonight. And all of God's people prayed in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.